Uh, we're going to be picking back up in Corinthians today, and, and this week our verse, our passage is in Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24. So if you've got your Bibles with you, I'd encourage you to flip over there or pull it up online. Um, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. And uh, what I want to do is I want to read that to you, and then we're gonna, I'm going to read you something else, and then we'll start to kind of bring them all together. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 to 24. Did I stall and give everybody enough time? Have you gotten to turn there? All right, here we go. Let each one of us live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called him. This is what I commanded in all the churches. Was anyone already circumcised when he was called? He should not undo his circumcision. Was anybody called while uncircumcised? He should not get circumcised. Circumcision does not matter, and uncircumcision does not matter. Keeping God's command is what matters. But each of you remain in the situation in which he was called. Were you called while a slave? Don't let it concern you. But if you can become free, by all means, take the opportunity. For he who is called by the Lord as a slave is the Lord's free man. Otherwise, he who is called as a free man is Christ's slave. You were bought at a price. Do not become slaves of people. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. Paul is, is challenging the Corinthian people um, at this place, at this time, on their culture. Their culture was constantly in a quest to better themselves, to become more. They were constantly in this quest to improve their station in society, get a little richer, have a little more, be a little more achieved, be a little bit more secure, have a little bit more respect, be a little more popular, be a little more beautiful. They were obsessed to the point as this what drove their everyday decisions. And, and into that environment, Paul is saying, stop, stop. Be content in the situation you are in because this is where God has called you. Back in 2005, uh, David Foster Wallace was invited to give the, a commencement address or a graduation address. You know, not bad, right, to have Wallace do your graduation address. Uh, but he came in as he was speaking at the college. Um, what he's going to argue is against what we refer to as a sense of unconsciousness of our default settings. So think about this your unconsciousness of your default settings in life, the things that are just the normal that you've come to take for granted as that's the way it's always been, it's the way it'll always be. So here's how Foster Wallace starts. He says, there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, morning boys, how's the water? As the two young fish swim for a little bit, the one eventually looks over to the other and says, what's water? The point of the story is that fish is merely, it's merely obvious. The realities of life are the ones that are the hardest to see and talk about. The truth is about life before death. It is about the real value of education, says Wallace, which almost has nothing to do with knowledge and everything to do with simple awareness. This is water. And so where we are as Christians is this place where we make assumptions about the world around us that it's just, it's what it is. This is the way things have always been, the way it'll always be. These are all the circumstances. We take them for granted rather than taking the time to say, this is where I am planted. Rather than taking the time to say, each person is to remain in the place in, place in which God has called them. And taking the time to realize, this is my water. This is the pool that I swim in. This is the pond that I swim in. This is the ground that I'm planted in. And all of us have circumstances that we live in. And it's important for us from time to time to look around and 
realize what our circumstances actually are rather than being perpetually and consistently and incessantly and obsessively seeking to better our circumstance in society. Let me back up one slide here. We're going to look at this kind of message and this message in two basic ways today. The first is to realize that all of us are in circumstances. And second, recognize that God calls us to serve where you are. And then real briefly, because I know there's some of you out here because I already caught the emails last week and I know I'll catch them this week. I'm fully aware that I skipped verses 10 to 16. We're going to come back to it. Uh, I know there's an elephant in the room and you're going to be okay. Come back next week. I'll make you happy. We're going to go there. We're going to talk about divorce and remarriage and singleness. And and we're going to look at all those things next week. But it seems to me in the flow of the passage that works best for community churches to talk about this issue issue that's very real in our culture today as it was in theirs. And that's learning to be aware of the circumstances in which we live, as well as understanding that God may call you and has called you to serve exactly where you are. So that's what we're going to be looking at today. So a word about circumstances. Circumstances can lead to this. It can lead to dissatisfaction. Dissatisfaction happens when we're always unhappy with our life. We're feeling trapped and always wanting more. Dissatisfaction happens when I want a little better, a little nicer, a little newer, a little finer. Let me see if this story resonates with any of you. Have you ever taken your car in for service? You know, you got to go back to the dealer and get something fixed. So you go in to get it fixed. And and while you're there, that person comes out and says, hey, while they're working on your car, would you like to drive one of the new ones or take a look? Or maybe you just wander into the showroom and you sit inside the brand new 2019 model and you sit down and whoa, and you close the door and it's like, and it's nice and solid. You wow, look at all this. And it sits nice and it smells new and everything is really cool. Wow, this is really fantastic. And maybe you're foolish enough to go for a test drive. And then you go out and you drive it around and then you come back and then they give you your car back. And what do you do? This thing, I hate this car. This doesn't have the blue light up dash. This car's dumb. It's not as comfortable as the other one. I like the new one. And now we're dissatisfied with what we have because we've seen better and now we want better. And we do this and we do it with the newest style of clothes or, or the neighbors did something neat to their house and now you got to catch up, you know, or, or somebody's got a nicer, bigger boat and now you've got to have one or, or they've got a new hairdo and now you've got to have one or the newest thing has come out and you must possess it. We do this in our lives and we're constantly seeking to better ourselves, to improve our station, to get the raise, to get the next position, to make things better, to do better than we had before, to have everything our parents had day one of marriage and that what it leads to is dissatisfaction with where we are and as it turns out this is precisely what was going on in Corinth so once again first Corinthians first Americans it's kind of the same story we are they they are us it's the same regardless of how bad my grammar just was we are living the same life as the corinthians who are just in a different place circumstances can also lead to this king thing called being judgmental huh and judgmental happens like this i'm pretty show, sure that those who are below me are getting what they deserve while those above me are somehow less holy than i am they must have cheated they probably had some opportunity provided as a privilege that i didn't and so therefore I'm a little better than them. 
Anybody ever thought this way? Don't raise your hands, but maybe the people who haven't done as well as you in life are probably a little lazier or a little corrupt or not as godly or have some bad habits in their life that keeps them from being able to be where you are. Whereas those who are a little better in life, they're probably a bit corrupt or just had it handed to them. We do this in our culture just like they did in Corinth. And there's this sense of judging people who aren't where you are. And so the other thing circumstances could lead to is this awareness we're supposed to have that it's not either or. In other words, rightly thinking Christians understand that faithful, godly living can lead to different life placements where God needs us to have impact. In other words, it could be that what we hear in the scripture coming up in verse 17 is this, let each one of you live his life in the situation the Lord has assigned when God called him. Can we unpack that verse for just a second? Can we, can we take the words on the page and kind of open them up? Let, let's start like this. First of all, each one live his life. Now that's not just for guys, right ladies? We understand that the ancient Near Eastern, when they wrote, they wrote in the masculine. It doesn't mean that they're misogynistic pigs all the time. It just means that that's how their language and syntax is shaped. So what we have to do in English is we understand this. Let each person live her or his life in the, in the situation. Stop. That means each one of us has a pond we're swimming in. Each one of us has water. And what we have to do is look around and say, this is water. This is where I am. This is where God has placed me. This is the pond I'm swimming in, the soil I'm planted in. This is where I am. And then we say, the Lord assigned. That means Jesus. The Lord in this one means Jesus. The Lord has assigned. So where I am is where Jesus has assigned me when God called you. So God called you to your place. As it turns out, this is water should be opening your mind to this is where God has chosen in his sovereign, infinite wisdom to put you right now because you are uniquely capable of having impact in this body of water, in this ground you're planted, unique and above anyone else on the face of the earth right now and in that place. It's your spot. And it's not random. It's God placing you or allowing you to be right where you are huh which really means this we can't we can't assign moral equivalents to people whose status in life is different than our own okay we human beings are quick to equate circumstances with moral character right well they behave that way because you know they're lesser they're not as godly. Well, they don't make good decisions. They're not as smart as you. You know, they're that place because the style, ethnicity, social class, hobbies, second level theology, position, personality type, marital status. What we do is we look at all those things that are different than our own and we assign moral equivalence to their status in life. I bet some of you are guilty of it and you don't even see the water you're swimming in. What is water? This is water. We judge the way people dress when they come to church. 
We judge the translation of the Bible that they prefer to read or the music that we sing on Sunday mornings or, or the car that somebody drives or the job that they have or the way their kids behave or the way they wear their hair. We judge them by a thousand little things that most of the time we're not even aware of. We judge them by age and race and ethnicity and theology and personality type, marital status. And we, we place them in little pigeonholes and categories, and we do it all the time without realizing it. But what we do, what we do, is we kind of figure that our place is the right one, right? And that everybody else is, is on a moral equivalency scale that's a little below or a little above our own. Some people will look to people who are doing a little better and go, well, I'm just not as good as they are. You know, I'm a victim, so I can't be where they are. This is where I'm stuck. And instead of saying, huh, congratulations for them for doing a little better. I'm, I'm glad for them. I'm glad that that's where God's put them. They have challenges I don't have to deal with, and they have opportunities that may never be mine. But that's okay, because God put me here in this situation. And what gets remarkable about this is it's not just about those social issues. It might become some very real issues. Let me give you some examples. Maybe we find that where we uh, find our place in life um, does have moral equivalence, and, and it could be that, that the cancer or the divorce or the addiction that you find yourself in is where God's allowed you to be, and he's asking you to use this for his glory. Now, isn't that a kick in the pants? Isn't that a challenge to have to deal with? Let's come back to that a little later, can we? Let's go to another little example that I like to use. Sometimes we, we talk about this issue of moral equivalence that we like to assign. But here's another thing that we do. And I used to do this as a youth pastor. It was one of my favorite illustrations I would do. I would ask all the teenagers when they came on their Wednesday night to bring a broom. Okay? So I want you to imagine what chaos looks like. It's 300 teenagers coming in with a broom. I want you to imagine how fast it, 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 there were sword fights how quickly there were with the all the witch, you know, <laughs> you're riding that home, <laughs> jokes, you know, about people. But they had all these things. That were going. But, but here was the thing. I started to group the teenagers based upon the broom that they brought when they came in as an illustration. Here's what I did. Some, some brooms are made out of like polyester fiber. You know the ones, right? The ones you buy cheap because they were a deal. And then three or four weeks later, they're all sprayed like this and they don't really do any good sweeping, but they sure didn't cost much. But anyway, some kids would come in with that broom because that's probably what mom let them come with. And, and so I'd put those kids over here. Others came in with the long garage broom, right? The one that you clean out the garage or your teenager's room with. And so we would put those group over here. And then others had the, the brooms that were made that were like ecologically friendly and you know, they were made out of the real fiber. We put them over here. Some were big, some were small, some were long, some were short, some were a whisk broom. And so I'd separate the kids out by that and say, now here, here's what we've done. We've given each one of you a place in the room based upon your broom. And here's what I want you guys to grasp. And I would say this to my teens. You are all capable of, you are all prone to, you are all likely to sweep people into areas with a broad broom, a broad brush and say, well, everybody who's like that kind of belongs over here. And the ones who look like this are kind of broomed over here. And so we as people have big brooms that we like to push people into categories or classes or styles or, or segments, right? And we do this. This is their subculture. We stick them over here and we kind of feel like we somehow have the right to be the one pushing the broom, don't we? Because we're the ones who should be assigning status. Because after all, I feel pretty much like if we got right down to it, I could do the God job. I'm pretty good at it. 
I mean, I've got my moral faults, but listen, I got them under control. I'm not like all these other people. So what I'll do is I'll put them where they belong and I'll be the one with the broom handle because I deserve it, right? Have you ever thought about the fact that you do that though? Have you ever thought about the fact that this is water? This is what you think. This is your posture that you're kind of in the center and have a right to place people like that. We do this because this is part of the human condition. And underlying all this brooming and underlying all this moral equivalency that we've talked about is this idea that somehow we can judge people. We have the right to be dissatisfied with our current condition, but we fail to understand that the reality of the water we swim is that God may have put you where you are, not either or or, but because he has a greater plan that you can't see. That in all of his sovereignty, in all of his plan, this is exactly where you're supposed to be. Paul says this to the Philippians. I've learned to be content, whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in one. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ, whatever the circumstance I find myself in. You see, that's the right posture. The posture that looks around and says that where I am is where God has assigned or even called me. This is water. This is what I'm in. And I look around and I realize the things that make up society and culture and place and family and friend group and job and financial status and health status. And this is where God has placed me. So rather than try to constantly change my circumstances, Paul's saying to the Corinthians, rather than constantly change your circumstances, he's saying, let each one of you you live your life in the situation the Lord assigned when God called you. Brothers and sisters, each person is to remain with God in the situation in which he was called. That's verse 24. With God in the situation to which you've been called. So what if, rather than thinking, who I am based upon the other people around me and where I belong based upon their status or their status or theirs or yours and seeing yourself in the center of a comparison, maybe what you need to do is look at the entirety around you, this whole milieu, as your water. This is water. This is where you're placed. God, what would you have me do here and now based upon where you've put me? Henry Blackaby, one of my favorite authors from the generation just prior to our own, he, he wrote this, find out where God's at work and go get involved. And what Dr. Blackaby was trying so hard to get people to understand in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and I'm so grateful there's a revival of that kind of stuff today, is to ask this question, not so much, God, what can you do with me right here in the middle of this, in this water? What is? What can I do? What we need to be doing is looking around us and saying, okay, God, this is where you've placed me, which means you're at work. I need to look around in the pond I find myself in the, in the ground I planted in and ask, where is God at work? And go be involved there, where you are, because that may be precisely where God put you for such a time as this, such a place as this, for such a people as who may surround you, whom may surround you. Since this is the case, we have to change our thinking from better my position to serve right where I am, because this is where God needs me. Are you guys hearing me on that? 
Are you hearing what Paul's saying? Now, let's be honest, okay? Can we, can we be candid? <laughs> if God's calling us to serve where we are, it kind of implies a few things. And those things that it implies, they're not comfortable. As a matter of fact, they can be frustrating. They can be humbling and they can be terrifying. Let me make this case. Let's go back to this thing we talked about before. It could be that the pond you're swimming in, where you find yourself is in a place of cancer or divorce or addiction. So let's start with that easiest one. Let's talk about addiction, our American favorite, right? We're Americans. We all do this at some level. And before some of you think, well, I'm not addicted to pornography or heroin. <laughs> how, about, how about this? How about how many of you are addicted to binge watching a show to get your mind off things that are going on in life around you and you do it with regularity? How many of you are addicted to eating? How many of you found that over the course of the winter, all of your shirts shrunk? Okay, Phil, it's not just me. Okay, good because it is me. But how many of you have found that, that just getting home, I just can't wait to get to the end of the day. I've got to have a glass of wine and just relax. And it tends to be every day now. Has it turned into every single day, there's this thing you got to do, this place you got to go to get away from this. I can't wait to get to this. Have we found that, that, that before you realize it, you find yourself right back on Facebook or right back on Pinterest Okay. And, and oh, I'm not addicted. I can stop anytime I want. I was just bored. <laughs> no, but bored is spelled A-D-D-I-C-T-I-O-N. What you need to do is come to this place of realization. You've become addicted to social media. You've become addicted to distraction. You've become addicted to shopping. You've become addicted to substance. You've become addicted to eating. You've become addicted to complaining. Yeah. And so what we've done is we've fallen into addictions without realizing it, Right. However, here's a beautiful picture. Those of us who become aware that, ready? This is water. This is what addiction looks like. This is what dependency looks like. You see, you got over that medical condition a long time ago, but you're still popping those pills because you're addicted to them and depending on them. You haven't let go of that grudge because now you're addicted to being the right one who gets to hold a grudge against others. You see, when you become aware of that addiction and move out of it and you're freed by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and you become more than conquerors, that's who you are. Now you have the ability to go, oh my goodness, that was water. And I can look back now and say, oh, I see it in others. Now I have a responsibility to come alongside them and say, I love you. I care about you and I've suffered where you're suffering. I've denied where you're dying or you're denying. I've lied where you're lying. And I want to come alongside and help you walk out of that because I know what it is to walk through that valley and that shadow. And I've seen what it's like to be on the other side of the mountain. Can I walk with you? And you see, because you've understood this is water, you've understood that's what it's like. Now you've earned the right to walk through that valley with them. But let's back it up. Many people under the sound of my voice, whether here are the hundreds who are watching each week and, and commenting, here's the reality. Many of you have been through divorce. Many of you have been through the unimaginable, unspeakable pain of watching your marriage fall apart and, and rending of loves and hopes and futures and desires and trusts. And you've seen that rent in your life. You've seen it happen to your children, to your friends, to brothers and sisters. And when you've seen the damage and, and you've been in the middle of it, you know exactly this is water. 
you know what that feels like. And as you've come through and you've gone through healing and you've become a new person and overcomer in Jesus, you've earned a right to be able to step into the life of another person who's crossed that line and they are now encountering the devastation that you understand so well because you've been there. And you can step into their life and to go, I weep where you weep. I have swum where you're swimming. I have hurt where you're hurting. I know what you're going through. I'm not going to let you go through this alone. I love you and I'm here and I'm going to help you. And you're not going to want to see me sometimes. I'm going to be here anyway because I know what you need because I've been there and I love you. And and I want to speak some truth and some grace and some love and some healing into your life because you've been there before. Dare we go to the other? In our congregation this past year, it has been astonishing how many people have struggled with cancer. Astonishing to me how many people have struggled with children born with with defects that are going to make their life more challenging than their neighbor's kids. And there's those of you who've been able to say, oh, this is water. I've been there too. I know what this is like. I know what you're feeling. I know the fear. I know the frustration. I know the challenge. I know the horror. I know all the things that keep you awake at night. I know where you've been. I love you. I'm going to walk down this path with you because I've been there too. You see, it may be that these scars that you carry, rather than being a negative, are actually there so that you can serve somebody else who's about to go through that. It may be that your testimony was birthed in the midst of that trial. And now you're more capable to serve God in this place where God has planted you. Because as it turns out, (laughs) you might be assigned this because God has asked you during this life on earth, during this, this existence in a fallen world where everything is not as it should be, during the midst of this water where we all say something's wrong, that God is saying, since you're in this place, I need you to serve others who are in this place too. Because without you, They're missing something. And I'm calling you to be a soldier that nobody else can be in this place at this time. I need you to be my special forces. And it could be that God's saying, because you understand the water, you can serve them. You see, it was that wilder fit, that older fish that Foster Wallace was talking about. He said to the young fish, good morning, boys. How's the water? The older fish has been there before. How many of you are called to be that older fish to those adolescent fish who don't even realize This is the reality that they're in. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing Paul? Are you saying God might have assigned you to this? Let's look at some biblical examples because I think scripture should be first. Have you ever thought about what it's like to be Jeremiah? How would you like that call? I know some of you grew up without studying the Old Testament. I'm sorry. Let me introduce you to Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called to be God's prophet to Judah, (laughs) the southern kingdom that's about to get wiped out. And here's the thing about it. Jeremiah is not coming to say, hey, if you'll do this, God will save you. Nope. Jeremiah is here to say, because you did this, you're about to get wiped out. This is about to happen. Here's the bad news. And here's what God did. He called Jeremiah and he says, hey, 17 year old dude, uh, I'm calling you to be my prophet. You're going to be in poverty. They're going to hate you. You're never going to marry. You're never going to have kids. You're going to die alone. You're going to be a man of sorrows and a weeping prophet. There's your call. And Jeremiah goes, yay, everything a 17-year-old young man wants to hear. No, no, not at all. Jeremiah's like, I'm sorry, can we spell fairness? Because it doesn't sound like you know how to spell it. And so here's Jeremiah realizing, this is my calling. 
And what does Jeremiah do? He faithfully executes his calling. Wow. How fair is it to be Jeremiah? It's not about fair. It's Jeremiah recognizing God's called me to this here and now. This is, my, this is where I'm supposed to be. Hey, how fair is cancer? No. How fair is divorce? No. How fair is a birth defect? How, how fair is a medical emergency? No. How fair is a financial disaster? No, it's not about that. It's not about you saying, well, it's not fair. It's not fair. It's God going, fair? You live in a fallen world, you sinner. You disregard me every day. I'm calling you to a big job. Are you up for the task, imperfect creature? Are you up for something that's going to matter so that in eternity to come, you look back and go, oh, that was well done. Thanks, God, for seeing things as you see and knowing as you know one day. But for right now, I'm going to trust you in faith and do what you've called me to do because this is my water. And this is where I'm called. See, that's what Jeremiah did. Oh, but Jeremiah is not alone. There's also Job. How many of you would love to be Job? See, here's the thing about Job. You and I open up the Bible and we say, oh, there it is. It's pronounced Job, not Job. <laughs> and so we, we now tell the story of Job, who's a good guy, has done nothing wrong. And before the throne of God comes Satan and he comes in and he accuses and says, hey, let's do a test. God, if you test Job, he'll fail and curse your name. And God said, no, he won't. And, Job, and, and Satan says, yes, he will. And so God calls, um, God, God allows Job to go through these horrors and trials in his life. And Job remains faithful. But here's what happens. The people around Job are quick to assign moral equivalency to Job's status in life. Oops. And they say, you're where you are because you must have sinned. You're going through this because you must be doing something wrong, Job. You must be wrong, Quit being in denial, Job. Curse God and die, says his wife. Love her. And so God leaves wife alive, you know, leaves these people alive, leaves all this horror for Job, boils and loss. And then eventually God restores it all to Job and he gives it all back. But here's what Job never got to do. Job never got to open the book and go, uh, okay, here's how it ends. All right, I can deal with this right now because I know how it ends. Job didn't get that. Job had to live through each moment to moment. When you're going through trials and challenges and difficulties, you don't know the end. You know that one day you're going to be with Christ. You're going to know all things. You know that you're going to be restored. But in the meantime, you have to be faithful. In the meantime, this is your pond. The same is true of Jonah. It was true of Jesus. It was true of John the Baptist. You're called to serve where God's placed you. Rather than constantly trying to improve your station, constantly be saying, this is water. This is where I'm called. This is what surrounds me. This is my pool. This is my garden. This is my placement. This is where I'm going to grow. This is where I'm going to serve because this is where God has placed me. You see, that's what maturity, Christian maturity sounds like. And if you've been listening, you're understanding that that doesn't sound anything like American culture. As our culture says, pull myself up by my own bootstraps, do a little better, Get a little better. Make a little better. Make it a little easier for my kids than it was when I was growing up, which has proven to be a disaster, by the way. So what I think what we need to be hearing is what God is trying to tell us through all of this. And that's that each one of us is to live his life in the situation the Lord has assigned when God called him. Because here's the fundamental reality. If not you, then who? If you're not going to serve God in the place you are, if you're going to be too busy arguing with God about the fairness of the equity of where you are, if you're not going to be the one who says, this is where I am, and rather than trying to constantly better, 
you're the one who needs to be looking around you saying, okay, God, if not me to serve and to love the people here, if not me to be your hands and feet in this place at this time, at this moment, then who else would do it? And God is saying, child, you may be the only Bible any of these other people ever read. Child, you may be the only example of the gospel that any of these people are ever going to see. Child, you may be the only person who's honest enough about your trial and your struggle to be able to speak truth into the lives of people around you. And if you're constantly judging them, if you're constantly comparing yourself to others and trying to get away from where you are, there's not going to be a person there to be God's hands, God's feet, God's message, God's love, God's gospel, God's champion, God's special forces in this place because you're always trying to get out. Hey, Christian, if not you, then who? Who? 